0: last week we started this series that i've entitled the wonder of god the wonder of god and and what we did last week is the first thing that i did is i defined for you what attributes are because that's what we're going to be talking about for a few weeks we're talking about the attributes of god And I defined what that word attribute means, that if we just take one T out of the word attribute, it becomes a tribute. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're we're just kind of giving a tribute to God for His distinctive qualities, His distinctive character traits. The things that make God, God. And so we talked about what are attributes, and then last week I also talked about the fact that because God is, God does. God is not who He is because of what God does. God does because of who God is. Amen? Amen. And we saw that passage of Scripture last week that says, "...the Lord is good, therefore He does good things." we know that because he's love he's lovingly we know that because he's kind he does kind things we we know that because he is power that he does powerful things because he is he does not the opposite not because of what he does is what makes him who he is because he is he does And then we ended last week talking about the first attribute of God that we were going to talk about in this series. We talked about the goodness of God. How many of you know this morning that God is good? Amen? Have you experienced the goodness? Have you experienced the the kindness of God? Well, again this week when I was preparing my message, I once again began to think about some things that I wonder about. So let's see if we can do this a little bit more smoothly this week But, but, but did, did you ever wonder how important does a person have to be before they're considered assassinated instead of just murdered? <laughs> you ever wondered that? I know i got a warped mind sometimes, sometimes I wonder these kind of things Have you ever wondered what happens if you get scared half to death twice? <laughs> I don't think I want to find out What what about this? Have you ever wondered, what do people in China call their good plates? (laughs) What about this? Have you ever wondered, why don't you ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? Seriously. You know, we lived in Georgia for 19 years where they have a lottery. And never one time did I ever see a headline that says Psychic Wins Lottery. If they're so good at being a psychic, they should know the numbers to choose to win the lottery. I know I would use it to my advantage if I were. Here's another one. Do, do you ever wonder why the time of day with the slowest traffic is called rush hour? <laughs> I've always wondered about that. What, what about this one here? This one's really something. If, you ever wonder if someone with multiple personalities threatens to kill himself? Is that a hostage situation? <laughs> In this series, I'm really hoping to get you wondering about God, curious about God, to set you on a journey, to set you on a pursuit to know more about God and who God is. And it's so important that we know who God is because what we believe about God determines how we will respond to God. I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again today, that if you really know who God is, you don't have to be prompted by a preacher to worship. If you truly know who God is, you don't have to be prompted by a worship leader to worship. I mean, when you really know who God is, that should prompt and motivate and inspire you enough to want to worship God, to want to worship Him. So so what we know and what we believe about God is so important because it determines how we'll respond to God. But not only does what we know about God determine how we'll respond to God, it also determines how we respond to everything else in life. To every other event, every other circumstance in our life, your knowledge of God will determine how you as a believer respond to those circumstances. And respond to those events in your life if we ever forget who God is and if we ever forget his wonders It will hinder how we respond to him to one another and to our circumstances That's what happened to the nation of Israel early in their history after all that God had done for them bringing them out of slavery rolling back the waters of the Red Sea, providing for them in the wilderness for 40 years, making sure that they had something to eat and something to drink and that their clothes did not wear out, took care of them, was faithful to them, was good to them for 40 years. But then the psalmist tells us in Psalm 78 that they forgot what he had done. Now, can you imagine that? They forgot what God had done, the great wonders He had shown them. And because of that, it affected how they were responding to God, how they were worshiping God. You heard me say this last week, and that is that most people don't really worship God. They worship their concept of God. They worship who they think God is, not necessarily who God really is. And that's why we need to have an accurate knowledge of who God is so that we are responding to God the way that God deserves us to be responding to Him. Amen? So here's what I want to do today. I want to look at a couple of more attributes of God as we talk about the wonder of God's sovereignty and faithfulness. And oh, I just believe this morning that God is going to do a work in some people's lives before we walk out of this sanctuary here today as He reminds us of His sovereignty and of His faithfulness. Let's start in Mark chapter 4. If you want to go there in your Bibles or on your iPhone, whatever it is that you read your scriptures from. But in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side, talking about the Sea of Galilee. He said, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat As he was and other little boats were also with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling now when waves are beating into the boat that means the boat is filling up with water which has them concerned that their boat is going to get so full of water that it's going to sink But notice where Jesus was. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Isn't that awesome? That the Holy Spirit did not leave that detail out. That Jesus had a pillow. Don't you love your pillow? (laughs) Some of you know that me and a few guys, we were on a little hike this week. And one thing that I could not sacrifice on this trip was my pillow. And it took up a lot of space in my backpack, but I still had to have my pillow because my pillow helps me to get the rest that I need. And Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let me ask you this. How many times have you asked Jesus that same question? Jesus, do you not care about what's going on in my life? Jesus, do you not care that this storm is about to get the best of me? Anybody ever asked that question or even maybe thought it in your heart? Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Then Jesus arose and rebuked. And that word rebuked means strong disapproval. That Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to the disciples, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you full of fear, empty on faith? Now once before, he had rebuked them for having little faith, but now he rebukes them for having no faith. And then the story goes on and said, They feared exceedingly. Now, Matthew and Luke also give us their account of this story. And instead of using the words feared exceedingly, they used the word marveled. And that's really what this word means, is to marvel. To be in awe of what you have just witnessed. And they've just witnessed Jesus get up from his sleep and rebuke the winds and the waves and say, peace be still, and they become calm. And so they're standing there going, wow. I wonder how he did that and they said to one another who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him and the first point of my message this morning is actually the answer to this question who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him I'll tell you who he is he is the sovereign Lord of the universe He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now when you see that word sovereign, it doesn't show up in any of the old translations of scripture. So so if you've got a a King James version of the Bible or if you've got a new King James version of the Bible, you're not gonna find the word sovereign in the older translations of scripture, but you do find the word sovereign in the newer translations of scripture. In the older translation of Scripture, they just refer to God or to Jesus as Lord God. Lord God. Elohim Yahweh. But the reason why they didn't put the word sovereign in the old text is because there's not a Greek word, nor is there a Hebrew word for the word sovereign. But there is a passage of Scripture that newer translations have taken and in this passage of Scripture, they pulled out a word that they feel best describes the sovereignty of God. And we're going to look at that passage of Scripture, but I want you to know before we look at it that it's really not the word in this Scripture that best describes the sovereignty of God, but it's the phrase following this word. That describes the sovereignty of God. Let's look at it. It's here in 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 13. Paul says, I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, and the confession he's talking about is when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and declared that he was God, that he was the Son of God. And then this goes on and says that you keep this commandment, talking about the entire word of God, without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which will manifest in his own time he who is blessed, the blessed and only potentate. This is the way that the New King James Version gives it to us. Calls him potentate. Other translations, newer translations say sovereign. But this word potentate is not the best description in this verse for the sovereignty of God. Because the word potentate just simply means powerful. So what the word potentate is referring to is the omnipotence of God. That God has all power. It's the phrase after this, wor- after this word that best describes the sovereignty of God. And it's a phrase that you and I have heard many, many times and know very well. That says, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In other words, the word sovereign means The supreme ruler of the universe. That there is no king above God. And there is no Lord above God. That he is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of all lords. We get our word supreme from the Latin word supremos. It's also the word that we get our word super from, that we refer to when we talk about a superhero. So I'm telling you this morning that Jesus, that God is not just a supreme ruler. He is the supreme ruler over all supreme rulers. And can I tell you that as the sovereign Lord of the universe, He answers to nobody because there's nobody above love him to answer to now I know what some of you are probably thinking you're probably thinking well that's a dangerous position to be in for somebody to have that kind of power that they don't have to answer to anybody because all of us have to answer to a power above us but not God and it's okay that God doesn't have to answer to another power above him because there is none above him and the reason why is the reason we have a problem with this is because we think in human terms of how so many men and women on this earth humans have evil hearts and so if we didn't have to answer to anybody there's no telling how we would abuse that power but when you think about God and the other attributes of God and you understand that God is good and he will always be good and he can't be anything but good and when you understand that God is kind and he will always be kind and he can't be anything but kind and when you understand that God is right and God will always be right and God will never be wrong and when you Understand that God is loving and that He will always be loving, then you don't have a problem with the fact that God doesn't have to answer to anybody because God will always do the good, the loving, the kind, and the righteous thing. And if you have a problem with that, then that's okay because God doesn't answer to you either. Somebody say Amen to that this morning. Amen. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Now, when I was reading Matthew chapter 4, and some of you students of Scripture, you're going to love this. But when I was reading Mark chapter 4, I saw something in this story. I've read this story over and over and over and over again, but I saw something in this story that I've never seen before. Have you ever done that? Have you ever read a Scripture that you've read a hundred times before, but this time you read it and you see something that you've never seen before? Well, that was the case when I was reading this story this week in Mark chapter 4. They said, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat. Now, look at these last three words as he was. Never saw that before. And I began to ask the question well, if they took him as he was, how was he? So if we wanted to know how he was, how Jesus was, when they took him, then we need to go back and read the context of this scripture. And when we go back and read the context of this scripture, the verses that lead up to this passage, we find that what Jesus had been doing all day long is he had been teaching the word of God. And he had been teaching in parables because the multitudes could not understand anything Except for the parables, and so he was using parables. So all day long, he is teaching the masses. But then, when he gets alone, look what happens it says, Those around him with the 12 ask him about the parable. So, not only is he teaching the multitudes, but just when he thinks he's gonna get a little bit of alone time, there's others gathered around him and they wanna ask all kinds of questions about these parables. That Jesus has been teaching, Lord, explain to us these parables. Even even if you look in verses 33 and 34, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. How was he? Well, he had been teaching all day long. Even when he had alone time, he had a group of people around him asking question after question after question. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, after you've been with a crowd all day long, and you've been working, you want a little bit of alone time. You want everybody just to shut up, be quiet, leave you alone, let you just chill for a little bit. So when I think about Jesus and how he was, here's what I think. He was tired. He was tired. He was worn out. And I think we have further evidence of that because the minute that he gets into the boat, what does he do? He gets into the stern of the boat and he grabs somebody's pillow. I don't know whose, maybe Peter, since it was probably his boat. He grabs himself a pillow and he goes to sleep. He's tired. He's weary. He's worn out. Yes, he is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he never sleeps and he never slumbers. But he was also fully man. And as fully man, he got hungry. As fully man, he got thirsty. As fully man, he got tired. And he was tired and he needed to himself some rest when all of the sudden this storm shows up and the disciples of Jesus wake him up and I think by this time Jesus is a little irritated maybe even a little bit angry Jesus don't you care that we're about to perish and what does Jesus do Jesus gets up and he rebukes sharp disapproval He rebukes the wind and the waves and he says, Peace, be still. Actually in the Greek he would have said, Peace, phimo. Peace, phimo. Be still, a Greek word, be still. And let me show you what that Greek word phimo means. It means to close the mouth with a muzzle. In other words, Jesus wakes up from his sleep and that storm is raging and the winds are howling and the waves are crashing into the boat and Jesus stands up and he says, put a muzzle on it, shut up, be quiet. And immediately the winds and the waves obey Him. And everything becomes calm. Why? Because He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. That even the winds and the waves have to obey His voice have to obey his command so i ask you this morning why would we ever worry in our lives why would we ever be fearful why would we ever stress when our father is the sovereign lord of this universe when our father is the supreme ruler over all of this universe and whatever storm you may be in this morning the sovereign lord of the universe can stand up in the midst of your storm and say peace Put a muzzle on it. Shut up. Be quiet because he is sovereign. Somebody thank God for his sovereignty this morning. Amen. But not only is God sovereign, God is also faithful. We've been singing about it this morning. That God is faithful and true. I picked a couple of scriptures that describe him as both faithful and true because you can't be faithful if you're not true. Look at what Revelation 3.14 says, and this is Jesus himself speaking. The angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 he said now I saw heaven this is John He said I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse And he who sat on that horse who is Jesus was called faithful and true Now why would I choose a couple of passages of scripture that put those two things together First of all let me ask you this What would be your definition of faithful? And I'm sure that if we had time today, I would get a number of different definitions. But what does the word faithful really mean? It's really simple. It means full of faith. It means full of faith. Well, what is faith? Well, the root word of faith is trust. So that when we say have faith in Jesus, we're literally saying trust in Jesus have trust in Jesus well guess what the root word of trust is the root word of trust is true now how many of you know you can't trust someone who hasn't been true to you it's hard to trust somebody who hasn't been true to you that's the reason why some of you have a hard time trusting God is because you base trust on your relationship with other people rather than you do your relationship with God And there's been some people in your life that have not been true to you and when people haven't been true they're not trustworthy they're not worthy of trust so when we say that God is faithful and true we are saying that God is full of truth that you can trust God because God is true God is faithful God does what He says He will do, and He doesn't do what He says He will not do. He's faithful. Look at Numbers 23, 19. (coughs) God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said and will not do? Or has He spoken and will He not make it good? How many of you know that when God gives you a promise, you can take that promise to the bank? You can bank on that promise. Look at this passage in Titus 1, 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He said, I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life which God who what does not lie. Promised them before the world began. But I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Because it talks about two things. It talks about an oath, and it talks about a promise. What's the difference in an oath and a promise? Well, an oath is a promise that is attached to you swearing by one higher than you. That's why when you go to court, they want you to put your hand on a Bible... And say, I swear upon the Word of God. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. You've heard people say, I'm giving you this promise and I swear by God that I'm going to keep this promise to you. That's an oath. A promise is when we just give somebody our word. When we promise, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to take care of this for you. With no kind of condition attached to it. You don't have to say, I swear by God. And Jesus really said this Jesus said, you know, your word should be enough. You shouldn't have to make an oath. Your word, your promise itself should be enough. But I want you to notice what this passage tells us about God that when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Look at this now. God also bound himself with an oath. Well, there's nobody higher than God to swear by. So God makes an oath swearing by himself that he's going to fulfill the promise that he's given you. And so it says God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God, look at this. This is awesome that God has given both his promise and his oath these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie oh I love that passage of scripture he's given us his promise and he's given us his oath and his word never changes and God is faithful and God is true and God has always done what God said he's always going to do because it is impossible for God to lie and so he goes on and says this he says therefore we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. When you know somebody's true, when you know somebody, it's impossible for them to lie. When you know when they say it, it's going to happen. Maybe not in your time or in your way. It's going to happen because of where it came from. It gives you confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's why I felt like I needed to talk to you about the attributes of God. Because the more you know about God, the more you're going to trust God. And the more you know about God, the more you're going to understand that God is faithful and that God is true and that those promises that God's given you in His Word and those promises that God has given you personally through other individuals, that if those promises came from God, I'm here to remind you today, God never changes. God will do everything that He He's promised you that he's going to do, and that hope should be an anchor, an anchor for your soul to hold you steady in times of trouble. Oh, I feel like preaching here this morning. Somebody give God a good praise in the house. Hallelujah! Amen. He's sovereign, he's faithful because he's true. So, my final point this morning is this as it relates to you faithful or fearful faithful or fearful let's go back to the story we started with mark 440 Jesus said to his disciples and this was after he had rebuked the winds and the waves he looked at his disciples and he said to them why are you so fearful how is it that you have no faith They were full of fear, empty of faith. Anybody ever been there before? How many of you know what it's like for fear to just flood into your life? You get a phone call. You get a bad report from the doctor. You just wake up one morning and fear just floods in. The Bible says that sometimes the enemy comes in like a what? <coughs> like a flood. But can I tell you that just as fear can flood your life, so can faith. And all you need is just one word from God. Just one word of God. Can, can I just take a minute right here at the very end to, to show you how to build your faith? If your faith is weak today, if your your faith tank is empty and your fear tank is full, can can I show you how to build your faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. People who had great faith in God. And one of those that was mentioned was Sarah. Notice what it says. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, And she bore a child when she was past the age. Look at this now. Because she judged him, God, faithful who promised. She judged God faithful who promised. Do you know what faith is? Faith is judging God faithful. you know what fear is? Fear is judging God unfaithful. When you get into a storm, when you're going through a dark time in your life, And I know some people look at this and they say, well, I thought the Bible says we're not supposed to judge. No, the Bible says we're not supposed to be judgmental or critical. But you and I make judgments every day. Judgments about where we're going to live. Judgments about where our kids are going to go to school. Judgments about what we're going to wear. Judgments about what we're going to eat. And hopefully those are good judgments. But we make judgments every day. And did you know you really judge God every day of your life? That every time you hit a storm, every time you hit a difficult situation in your life, you either judge God faithful, and you face it with faith, or you judge God unfaithful, and you face it with fear. But what does Sarah do? She judged God. What do you do as a judge? You hear all the evidence. And then after all the evidence has been presented, you then determine whether that person is Faithful or unfaithful, after the evidence has been presented, you then judge and hand down a verdict. And here's what Sarah did. She said, here's what Sarah did. She said, I've examined all the evidence. I've looked back over my life, just like Jamie was talking about a minute ago. I've looked back over my life, and I've seen how God has always done everything that God said that He was going to do. And so when she judged God, here's what she decided. After seeing all the evidence, she decided, God is faithful. Amen. How many of you know God is faithful this morning? She judged God faithful. Who had promised? I can't help but go back into Israel's history, 586 B.C. We see that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has come into Jerusalem. And he has completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The temple has been destroyed. The wall around the city, the gates have been burned with fire. Most everybody in the city has either been killed or taken captive. There's very little remnant left. But one of those in the remnant is a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And it seems like all hope is lost. That Jerusalem is never going to be able to recover. But here's what Jeremiah knows. Jeremiah knows, yes, the Lord told us that if we were disobedient to His commands that this was going to happen to us. But he also said that there would come a time when, when we would repent that God would restore everything that we had lost. And so here the weeping prophet is sitting, feeling that there's no hope, that there's no way that Jerusalem is ever going to recover from all of this. But then when you go to the book of Lamentations, which is a name that just simply means loud cries, you hear Jeremiah, he's just crying out to God and crying out to God, crying out to God. No hope whatsoever but then you get to the middle verse I think it's awesome right in the middle of this book here's what Jeremiah says he says that I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. I know that it seems like there's no hope of recovery, but Jeremiah said I know what God says. And it's on His Word that I stand. And it's His Word that I cling to. You remember David? When David was going out to fight the giant, and he recall the faithfulness of God listen to what he said he said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine I'm telling you God is faithful and we need to recall the wonders of God look at this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with that temptation will also make the way of escape so that you will be able to bear it look at first john chapter 1 verse 9 that if we confess our sins what is god willing to do he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness listen to what the writer of hebrews said let us hold unswervingly Let us hold tightly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful Church we serve a faithful God who does everything he's promised that he would do oh is somebody excited about that today hallelujah amen two words to remember when you're in a storm Two words to remember, the first word God gave you before you got into that storm. You've heard me say this before, that when God gives you a word, you need to write that word down because a lot of times there's a delay between the time God gives you a promise and the time that that promise materializes. And there's going to be times along the way between the time you get the promise and the time the promise becomes reality, you're going to have some storms along the way. And one thing you don't ever need to forget is the first word God spoke to you. And do you remember the first word God spoke to his disciples? He said, let us cross over to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in this boat, go out here in the middle of this ocean, encounter a storm, the boat going to fill up with water and we all going to drown. No, he didn't say that. That first word was, we're not going under, we're going over. And don't you know those disciples needed to remember that when they got into that storm. He said we were going over. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. And what he says, he does. So you remember the first word. Let me just tell you how good God is. He doesn't just give you a first word. He also gives you a fresh word. And you need to remember that first word and you need to remember the fresh word. And the fresh word that he gave those disciples in the middle of that storm was peace. Be still. Put a muzzle on it. Shut up. Be quiet. And I thank God this morning for those first words. And I thank God for those fresh words. I'm just going to tell you right now, there's been times since I've been at Summerton that I've had to go back to the first word that God gave me when he first spoke to Jamie and I. That first word that happened two years even before I ever came here as your pastor in a dream that the Lord gave me that one day I would be standing here in this church as your pastor. Two years before it ever materialized. Two years before it happened. And so there's been times I've had to go back to that first word not to remind God, but to remind myself. But it seems like every day, and he said, my, my mercy, they're new every morning. Every day God gives me a fresh word that keeps me headed in the right direction. When I first came here, and if you guys will go ahead and come, when I first came here as pastor, and I began to get a feel for the lay of the land, I was praying to the Lord and here's what I said, I said, Lord, I can't do this. God this is bigger than me. God this is beyond me and I'm going to be honest with you, I've started experiencing some fear. I started experiencing some stress because I saw the opportunities. I saw all that over a course of time God wanted to do in this place. And I said, Lord, I'm not, this is beyond me. It's beyond me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And you know what He said? He said, Son, it's always been beyond you. You know what? I thought about it and I thought, you know what, God, you're right. It has, it's always been beyond me. I remember the day Jamie and I got married. And again, I was praying, even on the altar, the night that we were getting married, the night night that we knelt down, people will tell you they could hear me when I knelt at that altar holding her hand, they could hear me praying, oh God, this is beyond me. I was a young minister taking a step of faith, knowing that God had called me into full-time ministry. I did not have a steady salary. I didn't know how I was gonna take care of a wife. I moved her into a rat hole. On the old Church of God campground, our rent was $130 a month. I've told you before, the rats were so big, they killed the cats. It was beyond me. And then we went to our first church and I remember we showed up at our first church and there was about 18 people there. And even among those 18 people, I stood there that Sunday and I said, God, this is bigger than me. This is beyond me. I can't do this Lord then we started having children oh God I've never raised children before I've never had kids of my own it's beyond me then God called us into state youth and discipleship work that we worked for six years as a state youth and discipleship director Church of God in Kansas and in Ohio and I remember that we went to Kansas and Kansas was considered like a mission state very small, only had 29 churches of God in the whole state we have more than that on my district here the whole state it was very small we, we were getting $750 a month as a salary and we had to trust God for the rest and God provided but I remember even then thinking this is bigger than me, this is beyond me God, how can I do this? And then, after two years, they asked us to move from that little small state to northern Ohio, which is one of our our larger states as as state youth and discipleship director. And I really felt inequipped there. It's beyond me. And then when the Lord led us back to pastoring in 1998 in Atlanta, Georgia, at Pleasantdale Church of God, and I showed up that first Sunday with about 325 people there, I was like, God, I can't do this. It's beyond me. And so I was like, yeah, Lord, you're right. It's always, it's always been beyond me. But then he spoke this to me. But he said, you know what? It's never been beyond me. I feel like there's some of you here in this room today that you're facing some situations that you feel are beyond you. And you know what? They are. They are beyond you. But they're not beyond God. The sovereign supreme ruler of the universe nothing is beyond him nothing is above him nothing is too hard for him Bernice sweetheart yesterday we laid her precious husband to rest Charles and on more than one occasion she said pastor I can't do this I can't get through this. It's beyond me. And you know what, Bernice, you're right. It's beyond you, but it's not beyond God. And he is able. Come here, sweetheart. Come up here just a minute. Can y'all help her come up here to me? Some of my prayer warriors, some of my deacons, if you would, come. We're going to surround this precious lady today. We're going to pray for her. And I believe there's some others in this room here today. Now, it's going to be up to you to be obedient to God. I get to this point of the service every week, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, you're you're going to have to take care of it from here. You're, You're going to have to draw people that are in need today, people who need prayer. And listen, I want to tell you today, I'll stay up here and I'll pray for people all day long if I have to. Some people who feel like that you're in situations that are beyond you, and you need the help of God to come to your rescue.